Hello, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. My name is Naziati Muhammad Yaqub, and this is another podcast episode on building the design manifesto. We were talking about the functionalists earlier, citing from a piece of research article, um, namely a Master of Architecture thesis from the 1960s. And since then, we have thought about some ideas on the why, the what, how, the who, the where, the when. Yeah, have I missed out something? It is inevitable that we talk about when we want to build the design manifesto for designers, architects, and those included in the built environment and have it cut out for them, their jobs, their function, their vision, their visualization of the whole thing what it is really when we think about this realigning or readjustment, rethinking, reviewing everything that we had done before. Access to information, I identify that access to information, access to the learning and the knowledge and the skills necessary to be a designer with enough approach, the right approach, the right method to design with empathy or even more compassion. What is necessary is that we stop to think about it, what we're doing to the planet with we are forced to think about it. We have been inundated with much um, campaigns or much um, debate and discussion, even at the highest level of government regarding climate change. We know that the movement and the migration, uh, mass movement migration due to this rising level, rising sea levels, and some places people have to relocate and come to a higher ground or relocation in terms of problems that we're encountering now more and more. Now the borders are locked because of lockdowns but when the borders are open, people seek better places to live. And whether this is in the form of refugees or whether legal migration, as we called it, there's so many, so many factors is gonna happen uh, and impact the environment. And the aging population is right in the middle of it because of advancement in uh, medical 
in medicine, the advancement in terms of healthcare, self-care, management, and then, and you know, uh, the rate uh, rises in terms of how people live longer now. People able to be um, around on this earth longer and and doesn't mean they are more richer. You know, not, doesn't mean that they have access to resources. And what does the architect, what does the designer, what does the property developer do? We know that we have to have better connections, better access to facilities where you are living in an area and better access to many things around that area. People love to be closer to the city center because the cost of travel, if you don't have public transportation, for example, or access to it, or there is lack of it, you, if you want to use private vehicles, you'd want to be as close as possible to the center. And the center is more, more precious in terms of real estate uh, costs. I mean, more precious, um, the land costs, the uh, property costs will be more precious in the center. So there's this conundrum, yeah, there's a problem with, with, with planning, obviously. Thinking about all these things and then wanting to have a design manifesto that takes into account all these factors and there are different contexts, obviously. Um, where I am, where I'm not, somewhere else, what? What are the issues here? The issues are the aging population, the issues are the degradation of the environment and the need to use, um, to reuse, adapt, reuse the built environment because we can't afford to build too much. Those things need to be addressed and when they are addressed, how are we gonna deal with them? and the fact that what are the main factors affecting people now when you're talking about the aging issue is that in the America, in the, sorry, in the United States of America, the statistics or the survey statistics show that 90% of, of seniors want to age where they're at, where they're living at, the house that they bought at the age of 30 or 40, and they want to stay there another as long as they can, if not forever. And even in the developing countries in Malaysia, that is getting to be the debate rather than nursing home or being in a home the idea of a multi-generational concept in living is, be, is becoming the thinking of how to do that. Now, we talk about what's the problem now and what architects and designers and property developers and those concerned, uh, 
beginning to think that how are we going to design for um, the seniors, the older persons, how are we going to design for them who may be needing special needs and how are we going to design for special needs? I'm not going to go into uh, the practice that we're doing or the business that we're doing. What I'm interested in is now looking at the design manifesto. If one, it has to look at the training of the architect, the education of the architect and the designers, including interior designers. One is looking at perhaps we need to deal with this at the earliest possible level of what is it that we're going to deal with? Design with empathy at the level of the student of architecture at the second year, maybe, or even the first year. What are they, what do they need to do? One of the precious understanding, one of the precious learning that I found is they have to understand the barriers in terms of physical barriers that relates to relates to attitude barriers. That because of certain attitudes and perceptions, these physical barriers happen. And how would they recognize these barriers? One of the exercises that we do is to actually make them understand the word disabled persons and ask them to express what that word means in a form of anything really, texts, um, visuals, drawings, sketches, logos. That's an exercise that we usually do. And, and inevitably we can see that there is the disconnect between um, the designer or the designer to be and persons with disabilities. There is an us and them mentality, but how do we actually get people to think that one day your age, the concept of disability is evolving. It may not necessarily be when you're much older, but in the near future, you could be temporarily disabled or be in a situation where you could get into barriers or disabling environment. Disabling environment uh, could happen anytime um, to be disabled could happen anytime, even without an apparent impairment. And um, this, this trait or this characteristic, how do you nurture this, this an attitude that is empathic? So the how-to of this we can go into coaching, we can go into training, learning it more further. There's also that simulation exercise, the relationship between a person and the built environment. We can do all that. It doesn't happen now in the current curriculum. I, I haven't heard of any curriculum, architecture curriculum that is. Maybe there is one or two in the world maybe in terms of the interior designers could design a project specifically for person with disabilities. But 
it has to be something that provides for lifelong learning and not just um, an exercise and, and you forget about it after you um, after you've done one project. And how impactful would that be to that person who went through that course, even in the first and second year, how impactful would that be? Would they need to meet with a person with disability? Would they need to interview? Would they need to do an adaptive reuse project rather than a new builds project? You know, there are a lot of these questions that one would ask because I was saying, again, about adapt, readapting properties and readapting buildings, existing buildings, it's not as easy as um, doing something new built, right? Even when you do a new build, you have to have some design appraisal, um, design appraisal skills or critique. You'd have to like to actually understand very much about the user. And there are many users. So the point is the complexities of this. So how do you start in the first year, in the second year, in the third year, and continue in the fourth year, in the fifth year with this? Is this important to, to, to actually be teaching this throughout the whole of the five years that student of architecture is in? It should be the main talk, the main subject, rather than a side subject. So um, the design manifesto is talking about when you build a design manifesto at all levels, obviously, from education, training, theory, and practice, you know, right throughout the whole setup from stepping the first time into interior design or architecture school right up to practicing as one. And once everybody have the skill, one of is entrenched this sort of uh, belief and um, approach and part of one's repertoire. Rather than fiddling about with playing with forms and shapes, one could marry it into the agenda of the practice later on. And that's the demand. There is a demand in that in terms of um, the aging population issues. There's a demand in, it in terms of we want things, things that work. We are thinking that we want to cut costs in remodeling or or renovating our design to the future. And we would want to buy that sort of um, design from the beginning. There's a mentality that is not yet uh, mature, but you can actually, you know, when you do a, a build, a, a, a designing a manifesto for for architects and designers in terms of trying to have a much more emphatic way of approaching design. You want to build that in, uh, as I mentioned, at all levels. But what's the end goal? When you talk about the end goal, you talk about the, 
the practitioner having in in their team everyone who can um, design that way, everyone have it in the arsenal or in this the plates, the the skill set. How to approach design with empathy? I mean, they could. Um, they instinctively know that, okay, I've got to think about this, the design criteria. It's not like, you know, go to the website and looking at, oh, my God, universal design principles, flexibility in use. What is that? Uh, oh, my God. Um, simple and intuitive. What is that? I mean, you know, a low physical effort. When you're trying to teach people at even the fourth year, this set of principles, which for the first time ever did it come across with it. It's also something that is not emphasized to them to pay attention too much. So they would they would focus more on other activities. Why is that at one hand you're designing a complex building and you don't do the detailed design together? Why is that is separated what you learn from a universal design elective and what you do in the main project? It's the whole idea of how to go and get people to um, think differently, to feel differently, you know. What do they say about thoughts? They say that thoughts um, come out from feelings, from emotions. And the emotional state at the moment is, I want to forget it. I'm in denial. I will not be disabled ever in life. I will be just this strong person and I'll be just cruising and independent. And what is independent living, which is <coughs> the core? The independent living concept is the core of it all, actually. And um, what I'm saying is that when you look at the Canadian website, uh, Spectrum of Care, um, yeah, that's a good reference. Active living, independent living, and then nursing care. Oh, sorry, assisted living and then nursing care. Assisted living is not so bad, actually, if you have the support and the finance, financial means. But can't we do independent living? Can't we design for it in our architectural design concepts to suit, to make sure that independent living happen as long as possible in whatever we do, whether it's commercial building, senior living, other housing, uh, public and park, uh, parks, sorry, public parks, and recreational areas, sports facility, why can't we have independent living concept in our mind from the beginning? So people will be reluctant to think that. I mean, they, they'll be critical of anyone wanting to do this way of design unless it happens to them or their relatives. That was one of the interesting feedback that I got from for my ex-students that, no, 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 people don't really want to do uh, universal design because 
unless it happens to them, you know, they're disabled or temporarily disabled or one or happened to their relatives, which is correct, actually, what he's thinking about, because I come, I have come across this. But, and the first group of people that is first introduced, the first module, they will say to me, um, yeah, I have a grandmother, so I'm kind of, you know, I understand. I take her out. When she go, we, we go out, we take a wheelchair. She uses a wheelchair and I push her around. Or I have a disabled um, brother or sister. And, and they're kind of like from the beginning, they know. But the idea is that all of the participants in the course would eventually be sympathetic and we actually understand. They're just good designers. So that at the very base, basic of it all, they are good designers. How did they become, how did they be interested if they don't have relatives of themselves not being, um, um, I mean, they, they, they're not used to this, this idea of independent living. How would they be interested? Because they think it's a good thing for them to know. They just have the attitude that they want to learn. And it shows that they want to learn. So um, they're just good designers, like I said. How is that they're good designers? Because this is my argument. They are good designers and they want to learn because they have gone through courses that pay attention to the functional aspects of architecture. When they were in the first year, they were not just doing graphic design and just not doing form making for the sake of form making. And they were not led to believe that form making alone is great design. They had good lecturers who are actually critical of the design when they were in the first year, second year, third year. That's why in the fourth year, it's easy for them to embrace what good design is. Because the reluctance or the, the barrier or the attitudinal barrier in them is that it is separated, you know, or that learning, learning is a continuum. Learning is a continuum. What happened in first, second, and third year influence in the fourth year. Why I'm talking about it like this, because I'm just um, analyzing my fourth year students who are taking universal design elective. At the moment. So I'm giving this critique in terms of what happens in the first year to the third year, and they may have been uh, doing uh, working for a while outside, maybe one or two years. And um, so one would want that it starts earlier on the education that that understand the concepts of independent living and uh, designing with empathy. So um, thank you for listening. And uh, this is building up, building up the design manifesto. The design manifesto that has the approach of designing with empathy, of addressing issues with sustainable, uh, sustainable development goals, issues, designing for vulnerable groups, seniors, designing for universal design principles and the like. So 
thank you for listening and um, keep in touch. And I hope to meet up with you all soon to another podcast.